RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. I want to welcome back Muriel Newman from the far north to Reality Check Radio. We checked in with Muriel a few weeks ago, and now she's back on the program to give us some insight into a couple of issues. We'll get to the three waters in just a moment, but Muriel, thanks for coming back on. Nice to have you. I hope you're all right. Yes, it's a pleasure to be back, Paul. Thank you. Okay. Have you been watching this uh, whole thing with Mika Faititi, MP for Ikaroa Rafati, and her jumping out of one waka into another? Uh, You've obviously been observing it, what's been happening. What do you make of it? Well, first of all, I think it's um, a bit rich, really, of a member of parliament who's been a cabinet minister to not tell her boss that she was planning this. I think uh, Chris Hipkins was pretty much blindsided by the news when he landed in England. And so that's the first thing. It's uh, quite astonishing that there is not the loyalty to your you know, your previous home, which is, you know, in politics, your party is your home, uh, that you feel you can just walk away from it. It's quite incredible, really. And the second thing is that usually politics is full of rumour. So if somebody is planning something big, usually somebody finds out and there didn't seem to be any knowledge or you know any leaks or anything until the day before when she'd obviously started telling people so I think it's um it's quite amazing although I must say Paul that um I was sent a link to a an article that was recorded in a Hawke's Bay paper on Monday and in the article was really interesting she had been asked about the ownership of fresh water And she'd been asked, you know, what her view was. And before she was asked her view, she explained that, you know, in New Zealand, fresh water is owned by nobody, but it's managed by the Crown on behalf of all New Zealanders. And then she said, you know, the other view of it is the the Maori view, which is that, you know, they own the water. And when she was asked what her view view was, As a cabinet minister, you would have expected her to state what the government position is, that, you know, nobody owns the water. And instead, she said, you know, I'm a Maori. And um, so, you know, I believe that um, that we own the water. And I thought that was really interesting. And I was planning to sort of come back and have another look at at it and then blow me down the next day. The rumours started. And the day after, she announced that she was um, jumping ship to the Maori Party. So, you know, maybe maybe the signs were there, but uh, nobody was really looking. Like a coded message, in a way. <laughs> yeah. Well, timing's everything, isn't it? And uh, there's definitely a, um, a timing thing right there that you've just brought up. Hmm. Why... Yes, that's right. And, and, and then, of course, you know, you, you've been... Um, Got her um, announcing, you know, the the um, her defection, and it was very clear there that you know she seems to have undergone a, a sort of philosophical change, and that um, clearly her views now align with uh, more with the Maori Party, which is, as we know, quite radical. Um, than with Labour, and then of course that makes you think, well, you know. 
were those radical views part of what was being expressed in the um, 15 strong Maori caucus? And was this responsible for, you know, the fact that we've got three waters, uh, which is co-governed by Maori, and then at a local level it's uh, controlled by Maori, um, and the Maori Health Authority, where you know it's uh, again sort of co-governed by Maori, it, were those radical views shared by other members of that Maori caucus, and is that why New Zealand's in the situation that we're in right now? Yeah, good question. That um, point you made about, uh, you know, usually there are rumours associated with big moves like this. The fact that there there weren't any rumours or nothing leaked out, except that little thing that you mentioned there, which could have been something, does that tell you that it was a well-set-up move? It's hard to know because the reporting seemed to indicate that the Maori Party might have been a bit surprised as well. <laughs> Um, but of course, there's different layers within a party. So maybe the president of the Maori Party, John Tamahiri, maybe you know he knew, um, whereas the MPs in Parliament might not have been told. You know, so it's really quite difficult. I'm sure what will happen though is that the details will emerge. It's um, it's a hot topic, obviously, and and when there's question marks over things then you know journalists like to get you know get their teeth into it so I'm quite sure that in the fullness of time the whole um, sequence of events will be revealed. Yeah she's the Ikaroa Rafati MP she must be quite confident that she'll retain that seat. I think that's the big question isn't it that um, whether or not um, the electorate stays loyal to Labour or whether they go, they stay loyal to her. And that's quite a big ask. I was looking up the history of the electorate and it was formed in 1935. And I think they've only had uh, three years out of all those years where it wasn't held by Labour. And that's where it was held by a New Zealand First MP. So it's, you know, pretty staunchly, uh, you know, loyal to the Labour Party. But having said that, you know, things change and moods change. And uh, there is another issue, of course, uh, with regard to Mecca, and that is um, whether or not she felt um, maligned, if you like, by not getting, you know, re uh, put back into Cabinet, if you recall, a couple of years ago, there was an incident and she was relieved of her cabinet post. And when she was sort of rehabilitated back into cabinet, it was in a position outside of cabinet. And then when Chris Hipkins became prime minister and did his reshuffle, he didn't put her into cabinet. She stayed on the outside. And then when... Um, the latest, uh, when Nash resigned, um, she didn't go into cabinet either. Willow Jean Prime, and who had never been in cabinet, got um, promoted. So, you know, you wonder whether that has weighed heavily on her and she's thought that, you know, she doesn't really have a future in Labour, in which case, um, you know, that may be one of the sentiments she expresses in an election campaign. So... It's hard to know how it will play out, whether um, she will sort of dump on Labour during the campaign 
or whether she'll just promote the values of the Maori Party and hope that uh, more moderate voters, um, you know, can be persuaded that a radical future is going to be good for them and for New Zealand. She was voted in on the Labour ticket. Um, so, you know, people thought they were getting that. Now she's jumped. Uh, how can she remain as an MP and properly represent her electorate, given that? Well, that is the problem, and that's what the motive was behind the Walker jumping bill, that if you're voted in on a party ticket and then you decide for whatever reason uh, to quit the party, then you shouldn't be allowed to stay in Parliament um, because then, you know, you would be uh, representing your electorate under a different banner, and that's not what the voters wanted. So, um, but in this case, it seems to be there's a bit of confusion over whether or not she wrote to the Speaker and resigned. He's just come out, I understand, and, and reaffirmed that um, she didn't invoke the Walker jumping bill, um, in which case, she would end up out of Parliament and then the electorate would have um, no MP. They normally would have a by-election, um, but if 75% of the House uh, voted uh, not to have one, given the uh, election is so close, then they would uh, not have a representative at all. Um, you could say at this time of year anyway, there's not a lot probably going on in the electorates. Everybody's getting geared up for the election. Um, but yes, it's a, it's a real dilemma that um, voters wanted a Labour MP and now it looks like they're getting a, a Maori Party MP. Yeah, well, the Speaker says, <clears throat> the Speaker says, I've not received any letter, I'm reading here from the Herald, I've not received any letter of resignation signed or unsigned. So... Yeah, and um, but she made a comment early on that, you know, she'd written to the Speaker... Uh, to tell him that she was leaving Labour and was going with, with the Maori Party. So who knows? I mean, yeah, I, I read somewhere else that there was a letter, um, but it was um, sort of plucked out of the Speaker's hands before he could, you know, get it. So in other words, it was um, she was being protected by um, others who saw that she was possibly about to make a big mistake. I mean, these are matters that... Um, you know, you should look at rationally before doing anything. Um, but oftentimes I think big decisions are made in the heat of the moment and maybe uh, she hadn't quite um, crossed her T's and dotted her I's. And, um, yeah, anyway, as I say, I think uh, a lot of the detail of all these things will eventually come out. Yeah, the Labour Deputy Leader, Kelvin Davis, is calling it small fry. He says it's small fry in comparison to losing Jacinda Ardern. <laughs> OK, uh, and he says uh, we have a saying in Māori, it's basically thank you, next. We're just moving on. So that's sort of playing it down, isn't it, obviously? Well, it is playing it down. I mean, you know, the, the other issue is that um, didn't they start out with 65 MPs and now they're down to 63 um, so, you know, they they seem to be losing MPs and, you know, people have been uh, saying it's a bit like the rats jumping from the sinking ship and that it is chaos. Um, and who knows? It's um, Again, I guess what we have to do is just watch their performance. And, um, and usually when there's chaos going on, a party starts to falter badly. 
And of course, we've got you know the budget coming up. There's some big issues um, coming up. There'll be a lot of legislation that they'll have to try and pass before the house rises for the election. So it'll be pretty full on. And um, of course, that means heightened tension, heightened stress. And um, and if things are starting to go wrong within the party, um, there'll undoubtedly be more fallout. So we'll wait and see. All right, let's get on to um, the top issues on the New Zealand Centre for Political Research.com, your website. Um, two caught my eye. Hiding in plain sight, the real agenda, and Labour delivers control of fresh water to Māori, both uh, related. And I picked up on this quote that you have. Hipkins and McNulty can only hope the mainstream media remains largely dozy, lazy, and uninformed on the role of te mana or te wai statements until the election. For if the general public fully grasps that Māori will be given extensive and exclusive rights to direct how water is managed at a local level, the public mood will change from sour to downright septic. That's a quote from journalist Graham Adams that you've put up. OK, let's... Uh, kind of unpick that. First up, mainstream media, are they largely dozy, lazy and uninformed or are they just choosing to be on this? Look, I think this comes back to the Public Interest Journalism Fund where uh, one of the requirements was that they, if they accepted the money, the $55 million, then they had to promote the treaty partnership agenda. Now, as we know, there's no partnership in the treaty. The whole agenda is fabricated. The whole flipping thing is made up. And yet this is what's driving all of this co-governance and all of these separatist policies, the he poor poor agenda that, uh, you know, the secret agenda of Labour. Um, so it's really big time in terms of the policy rollout of the Labour Party. And so the journalists were effectively paid to promote it. Instead of interrogating it and exposing it as a fraud, um, they're promoting it. And so when you move forward, a lot of the, or all, virtually all of the mainstream media, I think, you know, took money from the fund. And so when it comes to matters to do with water policy, I think that they are still, they probably feel duty bound um, to remain loyal uh, to, you know, that concept of the treaty partnership. And so what they should be doing is putting that to one side and looking at what the policy is actually promoting, which is tribal rule, iwi rule. And um, and they should be sort of starting to ask the minister and the prime minister how the heck has this gotten got in there and and why you know what's the plan is it right that uh, local hapu and iwi at the local level with your town water supply or your bore or whatever have the power to actually deny you the right to use it because that's what it sounds like these. Timana OTY statements can do. It gives all the power to iwi and hapu and no power to anyone else. I mean, it's quite disgraceful that they haven't been looking into it. It's a collision course, ultimately, isn't it? Um, this, like no other, could pit one side against the other. If you're denying people access to water, which we all understand in the big picture is 
for all of us. I mean, how could it not be? You're going to see some some real problems from that, surely. Are we setting ourselves up for conflict, aren't we? Well, this is the trouble. that um, What would happen if you just go forward, you know, say five years, um, imagine, she says with horror in her voice, that uh, Labour, the Greens and the Maori Party are running the country again and Three Waters is alive and well. What would happen is that, you know, one iwi or hapu would have a crack at the use of a a local water supply, or it might be a big one, like in that um, article we speculate about uh, whether these Timanaro TY statements could prevent Auckland from taking water out of the Waikato River, which of course is their main supply of water, in which case that would be a big one. But normally it would be a smallish issue, right? And so the local people involved in that smallish issue would, would be up in arms and, and you know, screaming from the rooftops about how unfair it is and all the rest of it. But they'd be a little isolated group and then there'd be another little isolated group there and another one down there and, and so on. And so the whole country may not be aware of how bad it actually is and how the whole country is being set up to fail over this. And of course, what what we haven't really factored into it either is that for every local hapu who's got a view on a particular issue, whether it's a water supply or anything else, a consent or anything, then it's quite often the case that the other guys, the other hapu across the road has got a different view. And so, you know, you, you're probably likely to end up with conflicts between them as well as conflicts between their right to own or control the water and the public's right to actually be able to receive the water. So I just think it's going to be one holy mess and it's just awful that any government could think of inflicting this onto a country. They must be able to see that this is, and well, I would say an inevitable result in the big picture over a period of time, yet you still push ahead with it? It's reckless, isn't it? it? It is. That's a very good word. It's reckless. But the point has always been that the Maori caucus is very powerful. They had uh, 15 members in their Maori caucus, and uh, the Maori cabinet minister's were 25%. I think it's gone up now. And so they have a very, very strong control over Labour's agenda. And what they have been angling for for many, many years is the ownership of water. And what they saw is that if they can put the three waters in place with the governance bodies co-governed, so in other words, they're co-governed by Iwi and the other half comes from local council, the other half of the the governance group, which gives Maori the veto right, of course. And then at a local level, if total control is given to Maori groups around who live around any particular water source, then uh, they've got it tied up. And yet it's not ownership, you see. This was the interesting thing. So they probably sold it to the Labour Party, the Labour uh, caucus, as the fact that this is just, you know, Maori exerting their right to control 
uh, water and uh, didn't need the because it's all so complicated. Um, then the public wouldn't see what was going on really. In fact, it's um, when it all started, nobody was talking about this co-governance and and the fact that the uh, control at the local level uh, rests on the shoulders of Māori. Um, and so it's taken a long time for the realisation to, to come through. And meanwhile, they're able to push it sort of onto the country and pass the legislation uh, without a, a backlash because there should have been a backlash right at the beginning and it goes back to what we said earlier. If the media had been doing their job, if they'd have been exposing what this bill was going to do, there would have been a huge backlash and it would never have got this far. Yeah, you mentioned in um, one of those pieces on your website uh, the chat between, I think, John Tamahiri and Tukuroirangi Morgan and they were talking about you know, possibly, I think uh, John Tamahiri raised, you know, the idea of a levy along the lines of, isn't it about time for a levy? And there was some sort of agreement. And the reason I mention that is because it seems that part of all this has a spiritual dimension, the Māori of the water, the essence, the life force of the water. Yet they're willing to trade that, which I would have thought removes again the Māori of the water. So it's it's kind of all over the show. It is. And... Um you know, it's a bit like Tanifar, isn't it? Do you remember that case of um, of a road that was being built yes, uh, from Auckland to Hamilton, wasn't it? And and um, and the local Tanifar was um, claimed to be living there, and so they had to didn't they do a detour in the end? Yeah, or, or made a culvert <laughs> and, uh, or something. Yeah, for the Tanifar to live yeah, under. Yeah, and 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 the stupid thing was that you know the the Tanifar would have probably been quite happy if a bit more money had been paid, and he could have gone away again. Funny that. So you, yeah. So you just have to wonder about all of this. I mean, you know, I just think that, um, in fact, I, I sort of blame the National Party in a way for bringing these Timano, the concept of Timano OTY, into a national policy statement on fresh water anyway, because it's got a spiritual and cultural dimension. Whereas national policy statements on fresh water should be all about, you know, water quality and, and um, you know, levels of water and, and all those technical and practical things. And instead they went off on this journey to appease the Maori Party back then, which was their, um, they had a confidence and supply agreement with them. And, and so we've ended up with the concept of Timana Oti and the spiritualism of water um, sort of being intrinsic in in water quality in New Zealand. I mean, it's just really ridiculous. Yeah, and of course, um, you can invoke the spiritual dimension at any point, and to argue against it kind of sounds insensitive. But when you then are prepared to trade it, you know, it, something doesn't make sense there. You're forced to think that this is really just an asset or a money or a power grab. Forget the spiritualism. <laughs> That's just convenient. Um, I could be wrong, and, and there's nothing wrong with no. viewing water as, as spiritual. It's a life force, there's no question about it, but to use it as a, a, a kind of bargaining chip seems to diminish it very much. That, that's right, and and that was very clear in the interview between John Tamahiri and Tuku Morgan that um, charging a levy on power companies for the water that they use was just down the track 
wasn't very far away. And, um, you know, so if you think about that and the impact on your power bills, I mean, you know, and if they've got control of how much the levy is, it would be like a lot of things, wouldn't it? It would start out really small and then just over time get ratcheted up. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so I, I think that it's a really, really dangerous position that the country is in because if you step back and you think about it, you've got a, a, a resource which all around the world is treated in the same way Nobody owns water, and it is controlled, obviously, by uh, you know governments and councils and or the equivalent in different ways um, throughout the world. But you don't give something that is you know created what by nature. <laughs> you don't give ownership of that to to anyone. Yeah, well, and yet get, here we are, yeah. about to give it to Maori. And uh, well, no, sorry, I shouldn't say we're about to give it to Maori. That's what they want, and that's what the Maori Party wants, and that's what the Maori Party president has said is going to happen if the Maori Party is the kingmaker at the next election. And so, in my mind, the election, the major, a major issue in the uh, October election is whether you want fresh water controlled by Maori or not. Or do you want it owned by nobody and controlled by the Crown on behalf of all New Zealanders? Because that really is going to be a huge, important election choice. And it's very clear. Yeah, you could make an argument, and I'm not, I'm not being flippant here, but you could make an argument um, along the lines of, if you, the same as water, is you could start levying people for the air that they breathe because it's the same thing. Yeah, exactly. It's um, it's it's a nonsensical argument, and yet they've managed to push it, and they've managed to get traction with it. And of course, it's been helped by the Waitangi Tribunal, which I believe should have been abolished a long time ago. And, um, you know, so it goes on. The whole system is set up to empower these uh, Maori, um, well, what's the word? They, they're grasping for assets, they're grasping for resources, and the system is set up to empower that. And, um, and of course, under MMP, you know, the, there's a lot of talk about the tyranny of the majority, but gosh, under MMP, more often than not, we see the tyranny of the minority, where a party that gets one or two percent of the party vote is able to control major policy um, that's inflicted on the country. And that is really scary as well. What do you think would happen? Here, here's something sort of right out of the blue. But what do you think would happen if, OK, our current prime minister, Chippy, I don't think he'll ever do it, but... If he came out and said, you know, okay, Maori caucus, you've had a good run. This is public. This is in your face public. Um, it's gone too far. I'm sorry, that ride is over. We're having to move to a, a kind of another way of doing things and, and circuit break it in public. What would the blowback be on on him if he, if he did that? I know that he never will, but you'd think that the public would go, okay, now we're seeing some leadership. And maybe it, it could enhance their chances. Um, what do you think would happen in that scenario? Just curious. 
Well, interestingly, um, when he first talked about all this stuff, right, just after he um, became leader, he he was asked about, you know, co-governance, where do you stand on it? And the response he gave indicated that that's what he could do. And I remember um, a lot of a lot of people who were sort of thinking about this were thinking that would be a winning stroke for Labour. Now, the downside for them is that they might end up with more defections, like the Maori caucus, um, you know, we, they've lost Mecca. <laughs> and, and they yeah, but does that matter? And, does that matter really? Well, it, it, it matters. It matters um, for the next few weeks, doesn't it? You know, or the next couple of months, really, because they've got a lot of legislation to pass. And if they lost two more, then they would need the Greens. And then, of course, the Green Party would, you know, they'd put forward um, their conditions, which means we'd get more radical stuff um, having to happen. So so there are downsides, right? But but going back to your, your question, um, you know, what would the public's response be? I, I think it would have been a very positive response for Labour. And um, and I think that was reflected, if you recall, just after he was announced as the new prime minister, he did get quite a jump in the polls. And, you know, he it stayed up for a while and now it's sort of starting to uh, slide down. And I suspect quite a bit of it is to do with um, this co-governance Maori rule thing because people who know about it are genuinely very concerned about the future. And the only ones who aren't worried about it are the ones who don't know about it, which probably is the majority of New Zealand. Yeah, well, that's the problem. Is, um, that's the problem. Incredible. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, you might see something like that. You just have Willie Jackson and a few others and Kelvin Davis and those guys jumping up and down. But so what? So what? Exactly. Yeah. You know, go jump up and down yeah. and, you know, have your big tantrum. And, okay, moving on, to use Kelvin Davis's word. Moving on, next. But, but look, I... I think the the important thing that you raise is the fact that given there is so much concern about this whole issue, it's really important for political party leaders to state clearly where their parties stand on it all. You know, yeah. we need to know whether or not the other um, parties are going to say absolutely no to co-governance or whether they're going to tinker with it as well, because you know it's like, you know, why would you why would you vote against one and vote for another if you don't actually know what they're going to do with all this stuff? And um, I, I think it's crucial for the future of New Zealand that the parties are clear about what sort of um, country they want us to become, because at the moment, if you go down the route that Labor has has sort of you know, the path that Labour has put us on, we're heading towards tribalism, full-blown tribalism. Democracy won't mean much under them, especially after another three years if they can consolidate all these changes. And there'll be more. Gosh, with the Greens in there and the Maori Party, I mean, there'll be a lot more extremist stuff coming out. And so, you know, is that the future we really want as no. New Zealanders? No. And no. No way. I, I'd say... Absolutely no, and I'd say the majority, again, the majority of Kiwis would agree that that is a scary future. And so we need the opposition parties and all the other um, new parties 
to state very clearly where they stand on all this stuff and whether they see tribal rule or, you know, equality as the way forward, where everyone can be aspirational for a better country as united New Zealanders, you know? This is the thing. It's division versus being united and going forward together. And that's an inevitable confrontation at some point. And, you know, it can be not such a bad one or it could be a bad one. Who wants that? Um, I know. That could, it could happen. Terrible. They should never have done all this. You know, you've got to just go back to election night in 2020. And in the lead up to the election, there was no talk at all about any of this co-governance stuff, right? No, no. And it was only after they realised they'd won the right to govern alone, that's when the Maori caucus flexed its muscles and said, right, here's our opportunity. And they've been going hell for leather. And, and I don't think we know half of what's been going on. I mean, I just got an email the other day from somebody who's at a, one of the universities and they've just, he's an academic, and they've been advised that their university is now a treaty-led university and that all the academic staff and everyone's going to have to learn Māori and they're going to have to learn all about tikanga and all this stuff And because, you know, it's a partnership between Māori and the Crown and everything else. So, in other words, they're using all this stuff and it's being infiltrated right through society now. And it's got to stop. It just has to stop. This is not right, what's going on right now. It's so political. Luxon could come out and, and do what the National Party have done to New Zealand first. They were quite happy to say, we, we can't work with them, we can't work with them. I don't know why. I don't really know why. Um, obviously, uh, historical animus existed there. But Luxon could come out and say, look, we can't work with the Maori Party, sorry. We can't do it I, I, I think that's, yeah, that's what needs to happen. I mean, you just have to go on their website and you have to, you know, just have a look at what it is that they're promising. And, and these are just standard promises. I, I don't know whether they will be converted into their manifesto for the election or not. But it's all it's all about Maori rule. In fact, there's, there's a, a quote on um, that they said, uh, the Maori Party co-leader said at the meeting when Mecca announced that she was joining the Maori Party, and the comment was that, you know, New Zealand has been hamstrung by Pākehā policies and Pākehā agendas, and that, you know, they were going to sort of fix it all in the future. And I'm thinking to myself, well, hang on a minute. <laughs> You're talking about New Zealand here, and it's like they are so scathing of anything that's, you know, sort of being promoted by previous governments and by obviously non-Maori MPs. Who built the bloody country? Who put the bloody oh. power stations in? Who operates the airways of the country? Who invented oh, it all? No. Jeez. What <laughs> are you going to do these days? That, <laughs> that, this is the interesting thing, that, that in one of those articles you mentioned on my website, I looked at the um, the wealth backing of different iwi. And, yeah, they've got a lot of money, a lot of money. It's staggering. Naita, who was the leader, was $2.3 billion in asset backing. And and then you, you then, you know, flip forward and you think, well, you know, what do they pay to contribute to New Zealand? 
And the real answer is pretty much nothing because they hide behind their charitable status. From memory, they run like 33 different businesses and they're doing really well. You know, you can't take that away from them. But they pay no tax. Yeah, but, well, okay, there's that. Yeah, and who provides the stable platform for which, where this all takes place? It's you, it's me, it's everyone. Right. Don't forget us. Right. Don't try and make a power grab on us. What the hell are you doing? Well, th- this is the thing you see uh, with a lot of these um, parties and, and the iwi and everything else. It's all about what can we get? You know, what's in it for us? And and that was the chairman of the um, the iwi that um, Mika Faiteri represents. I mean, that was the point that they made. You know, we're going to have to have a talk to her to see what we can get. You know, it's it's sort of like all... It's like a cargo cult. It, like a cargo yeah, cult. Yeah, instead of it being for the public good. Uh, what, what most of us want, right, are decisions to be made by Parliament in the public good. You know, and, and for people who are um, marginalised by a decision, whatever it is, there should be a system there so that you can support them so that if you know you suddenly find that this this policy you brought in which which helps sort of 99% of kiwis but actually damages or harms 1% then for goodness sake go and do something for the 1%. Well you just reminded so, me you just Muriel you just reminded me we had Roger Douglas on this program a few weeks ago and it was interesting to talk with him he's in his 80s now he got a hell of a long memory and he was there for 84 and many people still agree or disagree with what happened then. But I asked him, you know, when he was spending his political capital, did he ever think about people who could have been affected? And he said his bottom line was the poor would never suffer. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Because that you do not want to harm people who haven't got the capacity to pick themselves up and get on with life. That's right. You know? That's right. And so... and. I just think to myself, you know, public policy, it should all be needs-based. The fact that we've now got it so it's race-based, I just find that is such a despicable idea. And yet it's here and now, you know. If if you're going into hospital, the first question they ask you is, what's your race? And then they can put you in the fast-track queue or the non-fast-track queue. You know, it's just a terrible. And, and terrible hopefully you don't die while you're. Uh, hopefully you don't die while while you're waiting. I mean, that's how serious Gosh. it is. Um, and um, while I'm getting my bit in here because I'm getting exercised here, you know, I was one of the many thousands out on the street back in '81 when the Springbok tour happened, um, um, protesting against apartheid, the legalised second class citizenship of. Um, black South Africans, we were out there fighting that fight. I never thought back then that this place could end up a mirror image potentially of that. Exactly. It, it defies logic that we've actually gotten to this point. And, you know, and, and you've just got to remember where it came from. It came from that hipurpur agenda that Labour had secretly you know, kept away from uh, Winston Peters so he couldn't um, uh, oppose it and certainly couldn't oppose it in the election. So no one knew about it. It took us about four months into the new parliament before we actually figured out what on earth was going on. 
and and so never the public have never given a mandate for any of this stuff, never, and that's the trouble. So you've now got a, a, a parliament or not a parliament, a party, a government acting like a dictator, and that's what they've been over these last two and a half years. Uh, only in some areas, mind you, you know, you've got to look at their um, record and it's pretty shambolic. And yeah, but this area is, it, 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 it blocks out everything because it could lead. I can see a scenario happening here if this all goes through um, where there is there are serious confrontations between, you know, tribal New Zealand because you're right, it, it forces tribalism and it won't be pretty. It can never be pretty. And do, do we really want that? Are we wishing for that? Well, this is the problem, you know. The In the next parliament, if Labour get in with the Greens and the Maori Party, then I bet you anything that one of the key conditions will be that New Zealand will get a new constitution. But it'll be a new constitution based on the Treaty of Waitangi. Oh, and so golly. that would mean that every single law change that was proposed would have to have to have a litmus test of whether it's beneficial to Maori, and it won't go through if it isn't. And once you've got a new constitution with that sort of you know race-based division deep in the heart of it, it's almost impossible to overturn it because any time anyone tries to do so, it'll be ruled out as being unconstitutional. And so it's just a major, major problem we will face. I tell you, we will face it if Labour get back in and continue on with this agenda. Well, if you think that the the parliamentary protest was something, <laughs> get ready. Oh, gosh. That, that, that's pocket size compared to what where we could be going. And right. I, don't, I don't want that. I don't, I, no one wants and, that. And, you know, you, you, you brought up that interesting question, though, about what if Chris Hipkins comes out and he says, you know, no, you've had your run now, it's the end of it then we'd still be left in that situation. It's like with his policy bonfire, right? You know, he's he's rejected a number of policies that were on most of them. I don't like that label, by the way. I, I don't like that label on it. It wasn't a bonfire. I know, I know. Anyway. And this is the thing, you see, that, that, the question, that the question that hangs in the air is, have they really been ditched totally, you know, like like scrap put through the the grinder Doubt it. and never never to reappear? Or or are they just being parked and if they get back in to power, will they all get resurrected again? And we don't know, you see. So this is the problem with with if Chris Hipkins comes out and says no to any more co governance stuff, can we believe him? Because, you know... <laughs> probably it's, not, it's, I hate, hate to say. Probably not. Yeah. They've and lied before. It's so, it's so important, this issue, that we have to know that whoever we support is going to say no to this division. This division is terrible for New Zealand. Well, I know no, Winston and, and Shane Jones are saying no because I've asked them personally and they've said no. So we know that. Right. Unless they've, yeah. you know, they've got something else in mind, but they've said that categorically. But who else has? Yeah. The National Party have well, said that they, they'd undo um, uh, Three Waters. But they, what about this whole concept of co-governance? How prepared are they to do deals to keep themselves in power? Well, that's the, that's the question. Now, Chris Luxon was on radio the other day in, a, in an extended interview 
on Newstalk ZB, and he did uh, say no to co-governance of public services. So he he was quite clear in that, and that they would uh, they would repeal the Three Waters, they would repeal the Maori Health Authority, and so. But the the bigger question is, would they do a deal with the Maori Party if it meant you know that was what they needed to govern? Now that is the big question. Yeah, well, that's that's the question. Yeah, and. Again, it comes back to what you said earlier. He needs to rule them out. If he says no to co-governance and rules them out, the Maori Party out, then that gives a little bit more peace of mind. And I know ACT, of course, has said no to co-governance as well. So, you know, there do seem to be options for the future. But again, it comes back to those people who are informed and those people who aren't. And we have to find a way to make sure that every Kiwi understands that if they vote for Labour at the next election, they could be voting for Maori control of fresh water. I mean, that's a simple version of it, right? Because it's very complicated, all of this stuff. And and that's the problem for for people too. They do feel it's complicated and that generates a certain amount of apathy. But in the end, it's the old saying, turkeys don't vote for Thanksgiving or Christmas. That's what you'd be doing, right? That's right. Exactly. All right. Hey, it's been great. Um, I need to, the old blood, I'm going to have to check the blood pressure here. I've got my little machine here just to make sure everything's under control. (laughs) But I think people should get um, riled up about it because, you know, this will not be the New Zealand we knew. And the New Zealand we knew, I'm going to say it, was beautiful. It's a beautiful place. It's been beautiful. Our history, it's checkered like everywhere else. But we've done a damn good job over the years of building a a great country where most of us can launch from and have great lives. I don't want to see that go, ever. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, we are the best country in the world, and we still are. But man alive, you know, we're on the brink, aren't we? And this is Feels the thing. Like and, and, and when you look down at the precipice, it's not nice, and we just can't end up by going down there. So, you know, we have to find a way to make sure that we have a decent future where every New Zealander is treated the same as every other New Zealander. Exactly. That's all all anyone wants. That's all anyone wants. That's fair. It's just fair. It's fair and that the public good is the thing that actually drives most legislation and most policy with obviously, as we said before, you know, with help provided for anybody who falls by the wayside. But it's got to be all about what's good for the country and what's going to help everybody build a better future, you know, and, and, yeah, anyway. All right. Well, um, uh, yeah, interesting um, chat. Thanks for coming on again, Muriel. It won't be the last. And I recommend that if people want to inform themselves, the nzcpr.com, New Zealand Centre for Political Research com website is the place to go. You'll find great articles and commentary from Muriel and others. Thank you, Muriel, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you very much, Paul. Really appreciate it. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.